Well, good morning. We're in a series right now called Ugly Sweaters, and uh, Ugly Sweaters reminds me of a story. Some of you may remember a few years ago, our family moved away for a year. We lived in Tioga County. I don't know if you've ever lived in a foreign country before, um, but it's not, it's not easy. I mean, you're, you're learning a new language, you're eating unusual foods, and you're always just wanting to fit in. I can remember one of the, our favorite things to do at night was to go out at night and see all of the deer. Deer are everywhere, and you would see these deer from a distance. And then on Sunday morning, you would go to church, and you could see deer up close in pickup trucks. <laughs> and we had little kids at the time, and they had questions. Why are the deer just laying down? They're very tired. It was a long night. Why are their tongues hanging out? <laughs> they're thirsty. They're very, they're very thirsty. But you do. You just want to fit in. I can remember a church service early in the morning. Um, somebody came over and they had a conversation with me. And he just got a kick out of my ugly sweater. He said, I love your ugly sweater. It was just... I didn't realize I was wearing an ugly sweater. This was, uh, but he sure thought it was funny in that I was bold to, to pull that off. But ugly sweaters, here's our theme for this Advent season. Ugly sweaters remind us that there is no perfect Christmas. During this Advent season, we have been looking at different characters from the Bible that are connected to the Christmas story, reminding us that this ancient book has must, much to say to our present reality? Does my past disqualify me from being a part of God's story? We looked at Rahab, the prostitute, who is part of the lineage of Jesus. Wait, what? An ancestor of Jesus. Jesus' great, 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 great grandmother was a prostitute. What do I do when God hands me a surprise? We looked at Mary, the unwed, pregnant teenager who was Jesus' mom, huh? Last week, we looked at Joseph, the man who was engaged to Mary, who had the right to have her killed because she was pregnant, not with his child, but instead decided to divorce her quietly. What do we do when your life seems to be unraveling? Fortunately for Mary... And for us, an angel spoke to Joseph in a dream, and he chose to go along with God's plan. If nothing else, this sermon series reveals to us that the Bible is about real life. At least it doesn't present life as easy. And when you look at these stories, one of Jesus' ancestors was a prostitute. And young parents, you thought explaining virgin was going to be the only challenge during Christmas time. <laughs> But you think about this, one of Jesus' ancestors was a prostitute. Jesus' mom, Mary, was an unwed teenager. Jesus' dad, Joseph, had some difficult decisions to make. I think it certainly makes Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman a bit more appealing. I don't even know what chestnuts are, but having them being roasted over an open fire while I sip hot chocolate and listen to Kenny G on the saxophone, is more my kind of Christmas. 
Or at least let's focus on joyful angels, happy shepherds, and generous wise men. And there is a place for that for sure. But we cannot forget the context of that first Christmas. Advent is a time when the church remembers the first coming of Jesus and looks forward to his return. Will we be ready for his arrival? And what does it look like to wait patiently for the Lord to come? Is there anything we can learn from how people were waiting in the first century that we can apply to our own time of waiting in the 21st century? Today's text is Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. But before I read it, I need to set the stage. Context here is so important. You will feel the weight of this passage when you understand that world in which Jesus was born. The first thing for us to understand as we think about the shift from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I think, I mean, think about this. So the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew. So here's our Bibles. We have Malachi to Matthew. When we turn the page of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we go like this. It's one small turn of the page. And it represents 400 years. And we call that the 400 years of silence, the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God did not speak. There was no revelation. It was described as darkness. 400 years equals 146,100 days. And two-day shipping can be a challenge. (laughs) But 400 years, that's 16 generations. During that first time, the Jewish people lived under, during that time, the Jewish people lived under other rulers. First was the Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire, the Hellenistic Empire. Then there was a short time of independence following the Maccabean Revolt and the Hasmonean Dynasty when the Jewish people ruled themselves, remembered in the celebration of Hanukkah. But it was a short-lived, and eventually the Roman Empire came to rule the Jewish people and take over the Jewish, Jewish land. All of these details are not crucial to know. There won't be a test at the end of this sermon. But you should know this. Life in Israel as a Jew at the time of Jesus was hard. They were a people of promise, living in a promised land, but it didn't feel like it. They had houses, but not homes. Living in occupied territory, most Jews were oppressed and poor. They could worship their God, but only after walking past Roman soldiers to enter their house of worship. There were always rumors of revolt, which kept the Roman soldiers on watch, using force when necessary, or even when it was unnecessary. And Jesus would be caught in the middle of that at the end of his life. Most Jews were just trying to get by and survive one day at a time. And let's not forget that after Jesus' birth, quote-unquote King Herod who no one believed was a true king, ordered the killing of every Jewish boy two years and under. Herod's edict gives you a sense of how brutal it was to be a Jew at the time of Jesus. I don't think Hallmark has made a movie about this yet. The Jews didn't have much, but they had their scriptures. 
many still believed deep down that they were a part of a different story. They were a chosen people, chosen by God to be a light to the nations. Somehow, the people of Israel would be a blessing to everyone, and someday God would redeem his people. There was also a promise of a king in the line of David, whose kingdom would be eternal, an everlasting kingdom of peace and true prosperity for all. But had their God abandoned them? Where was their God now? I can imagine many reciting Psalm 13. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat, saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. But there were other parts of their story and many were clinging, that many were clinging to during this time of desperation. Like this from Isaiah 9. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep, deep darkness, a light will shine. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. And then this mysterious promise. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The context of Israel at the time of Jesus was a Psalm 13 life longing for Isaiah 9 to come true. The honest question, how long will we suffer, O Lord, while hoping for a child to be born who will change everything? It seemed like a fool's hope. 400 years of waiting on God to deliver on his promise. That is the backdrop of Luke chapter 2, 25 to 38. Before I read the passage... I would like us to have a time of silence. It might be a little uncomfortable. There is much to do. Gifts to be wrapped. Food to prepare. But being still for a short time might be good for us. We'll be still for one minute. I will break the silence with the reading of God's word It is a story about Simeon and Anna, and I think they have something to teach us about waiting.
At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Penuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. What can we learn from Simeon and Anna in their waiting How might we apply it to our own times of waiting, especially as we wait for Jesus to return? I'll offer a few reflections. Simeon and Anna and their waiting were clinging to the promises of God. They believed and trusted and had faith that God would come to bring salvation even when it was hard to believe. It was a hope, but not a fool's hope. It was a hope rooted in God's character. God is faithful. God keeps his promises. Maybe Simeon and Anna were able to cling to the promises of God because they devoted, they were devoted to God in regular worship and prayer and fasting. In our waiting, what do we cling to? What do we hold on to when it seems that God is absent? Jesus has promised to return, to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Do we believe that? It's hard to believe, but maybe through regular worship and prayer, we could know God's promises more intimately and trust his word more fully. Simeon and Anna, in their waiting, trusted that God was at work, even when it seemed like God was silent. This was not a vague hope that things might get a little better, but a deep desire to see God act and redeem all that has been lost. In our waiting, perhaps we could be more expectant of what God can do. 
Part of trusting in the promises of God is also trusting in God's timing for the fulfilling of those promises. That is not easy, but we have every reason to believe that he will. In our waiting, let's believe together that God can do far more than we could ever ask or imagine. Simeon and Anna, in their waiting, kept the big picture in mind, and it gave them perspective on their current reality. For Simeon, he is now ready to die in peace because he he has seen the Lord's salvation. What more could he want to see? Jesus will redeem Israel and be a light to the Gentiles. No one will ever have to walk in darkness again. All he wanted was to see and know the Messiah. It didn't mean that life would be easy, and he lets Mary know that there will be division and pain and suffering to come. But even that somehow will be connected to the bigger picture of the glory of the Lord. And for Anna... She has had a hard and difficult life as a widow. A woman who goes to the temple every day because, let's face it, where else would she go? And one day she sees the Messiah. And not only is her story redeemed in him, but she has a new mission to tell everyone about this child. If it is true if God really is reconciling the whole world to himself in and through Jesus, think about how this baby really does change everything for Simeon and Anna and for you and for me. The musician Michael Card in his commentary on Luke says this, before Simeon, faith meant waiting. After him, faith will mean following. As we follow Jesus, let's remember to cling to the promises of God, to trust that he is at work even when we may not see it, and to keep the big picture of God's story in mind as we reflect on our current circumstances. Earlier I read the first four verses of Psalm 13. The questions come from a dark place. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? But the psalm doesn't end there. Let's allow the last two verses of Psalm 13 to conclude our Advent season as we transition to our Christmas celebration. Verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. O Lord, how long? Oh, come, let us adore him. Let's pray. Lord God, we are grateful for this season to think more intentionally and deeply about what it means to wait. Lord, you are a God of promises, of promise, and you keep your promises. Lord, help us to believe that more each day. Lord, we pray like Simeon and Anna that we could be people who are expectant of your salvation, that we could trust that you're at work even when we don't realize it and even see it. But we believe, Lord, that you are at work in this world. We pray now as we transition 
to a time of celebrating your birth, that you would give us new eyes to see and ears to hear the ways you are at work in your world. We're grateful for all you do for us. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, I pray. Amen.